Hello, I'm Jamie Owen, and this is The Secret Betrayal. In this series of podcasts, the story of how a brutal policy of forced repatriation caused thousands of Chinese sailors to suddenly disappear from Liverpool at the end of the Second World War. This policy, orchestrated by the British government, would leave families and the Chinese community broken. We want the truth. Own up to what they did and let us step. Settle. We're not got that many years left in us. But we just want the truth. During the Second World War, one in seven merchant seamen in the UK was Chinese. When the war was over, many returned to the lives they'd built in Liverpool. But instead of the hero's welcome received by British servicemen, they found themselves facing deportation. Despite many having roots in the city, including jobs, marriages and children, they were labelled troublemakers. Almost all of them were forcibly removed. In this episode, we look at the trauma and destitution visited on the families left behind. We'll hear of the anguish and the sense of betrayal that still exists for many over 75 years later. When we got to the end of the war and the English men were coming back and wanted the jobs back, they had a secret home office meeting where it was discussed in Whitehall what to do about the Chinese merchant seamen. And they decided they would round them up and forcibly repatriate them, not tell the wives, not make it public knowledge, and they put the files into secret documents to be shelved for 50 years. The consequences of forced repatriation for Anne Pearson's family were dramatic. When her grandfather was deported without trace, her grandmother, Esther, struggled to cope and died at an early age. Anne's mother, still only a teenager, had lost her mother, father and baby brother. I feel like we've been robbed, <laughs> slightly, of our heritage and it's all to do with self-identity, so it matters. And when you don't look the same as other people, you don't quite fit in. After years of research, Anne discovered the name of her Chinese grandfather. He was Chao Awong. I met Anne in Phillips Park Cemetery in Liverpool. It's where her grandmother, Esther's baby boy, is buried. When he died, just three weeks old, financial hardship forced the family to bury him here in a pauper's grave. I'm 52. I've wanted to know my whole life, why I'm Chinese, I've got Chinese in me. My mum wouldn't discuss it. She's the one that's half Chinese, and so I had to go to an auntie. What I was told as a child was that my granddad was a sailorman. When I was a teenager, I was told he was a merchant seaman. And then basically that's been it. That's all we've been told. My mum wouldn't ever talk about it. She's got a very tight emotional lid on it because of all the abandonment issues. I think that we was lucky in the sense my mum was adopted by her nana, which is sad in itself to say because, in fact, my mum lost her real mum, a real dad and a brother, never had the family and the life she was meant to. But luckily for me, was adopted into her extended family. She died when she was 30. Um, she was 19 when she had my mum and 18 when she had Havan. And she never recovered from that. Um, she died very young. She was an anorexic, which is a sign of 
men bad mental health, very bad mental health, and she died by the time she was 30. So for Esther, that's too late to put that right for her. She died thinking and feeling she'd been abandoned and she'd had 13 years of trauma. From a mum, I can make that right. I can give her, I can get a photo of her dad and I can find out what happened to him and give her that, some kind of closure before she dies. Because they weren't abandoned, were they? No, I mean, they wasn't the, the, abandoned. The, the, the babies and the, the wives and the girlfriends yep. were not abandoned. No, no. Your mum won't talk about this, will she? I mean, no. it's just too hard, too difficult, too no. heartbreaking. And I wonder also that perhaps they sim that generation don't want to find stories that they might find. I mean, why won't she talk about it? It's, it's all the, the feelings that it leaves you with, the abandonment, because even though she now knows that she wasn't abandoned, that's what she's... That's been her narrative for her whole life. That's what her family told her because they didn't know any difference. So it's, even though she now knows the truth without any further information, it still leaves all those feelings of loss. Like you're grieving for somebody you've never, you've never met. It's, it's your heritage, it's your part of your personal identity. And you have a right as a human being to know where you come from. And to have that taken away by people in Whitehall, who were the human beings like us, but for them not to forward think the impact that it would have, not just on the wives, but on their children and then their children, because I'm the next generation, I'm a grandchild. The law at the time meant British-born women who married foreign men automatically lost their citizenship and any rights to government support. This was eventually changed by the post-war Labour government. But when their loved ones went missing, hundreds of wives were left angry, confused and destitute. Children were made fatherless overnight. Kellyanne Flower's dad, Brian, was one of those children. Brian was sent to live in an orphanage after his mother could no longer afford to look after him. Kellyanne spoke to me about the lasting impact it's had on her own father growing up. Overnight, the breadwinner's gone. They can't pay the bills, they can't feed the children. Those that were married have been given alien status for marrying a foreign man anyway. What does that mean? That what? they're not entitled to services, that they're not traditional British citizens anymore. They take on the status of the husbands. So it was overnight destitution is what happened to the people that were left behind, the wives and the children. Some mothers managed to keep it together and they managed to feed the children and get through them years. Other mothers didn't. Lots of the children went into care. My dad went into an orphanage and I mean, my dad's quite lucky, he was returned to his mum at 11. There's many others went into the care system who had no one to be returned to. So th there's possibly people out there that don't even know they're part of this story. Half Chinese British people brought up in an orphanage and they've got no idea that this is the set of circumstances that led to them being in orphanages in the first place. Kellyanne has been at the heart of her community's hunt for new information about what happened to the surviving families. Her grandfather, 
Jaifa Chao was first deported in 1948. He returned five years later to marry Kellyanne's nan, only to be deported for a second time. His mum's destitute overnight and his dad's missing. It, it does seem extraordinary that a child simply has to be given away. I think what's more extraordinary is that this didn't just happen to my family. This happened to 2,000 or more Chinese seamen and their families. So when we grew up, we understood that it happened to us. But it was a real shock to find out that it happened to the entire community and that there's lots of other families sitting there with their missing family members wondering what happened as well. So over the years, we've had a number of community groups where, first of all, my dad's age group came together and it was just nice for them to meet people, A, of the same race of them and B, whose families have been through the same trauma and all seeking answers and trying to find out what really did happen. Kellyanne's father, Brian, grew up believing he was an orphan, unaware he had a mother and siblings who were all still alive. But at the age of 11, he was given a train ticket and told to go back to his mother in Liverpool. I think it must have been a shock to actually find out he had a mum. You know, I don't think they don't keep you up to date with your family history when you're in an orphanage. You're just one of many kids getting on with your life. So he was quite surprised to find out that he even had a family member, let alone one that wanted him back. And I think he found it quite difficult to settle. When he arrived in Liverpool, he had a, a Cockney accent, if you like. He had a London accent and he's just been sent to Liverpool. He didn't know any of the people whatsoever. And Liverpool was still pretty poverty stricken in the years that my dad was returned to his mum. And I think by today's laws and standards, he may never have been returned to his mum, but back in them days they did. So he went to live in a house with a mum who's still struggling to make ends meet. You know, life was still pretty hard when he was returned to his mum. So your dad ends up back in Liverpool after years and years away. That must have been hard. That must have been a difficult time. I should imagine it was really traumatic. And we have asked my dad, did he ask his mum questions? You know, us people today, we'd be overloaded with questions and feel that we had every right to ask them. But from my dad's point of view, he was scared that he'd just be sent away again if he meant a fuss. So he actually asked no questions as such. He just tried to get his head down and get on with life and cope with the things that were going on around him. The trauma must have been tremendous. What, what do you think when you look at your father? He was deprived of love for the first decade of his life by a government decision. It's, things like that should, just shouldn't happen. Your dad lost years and years of his life, but clearly this has also had a traumatic effect on you and the other children. Yeah, definitely. I think the childhood that they had has left them quite untrusting of some things. You know, they're not 
the most outgoing people. They're quite insular. And I think if he'd have been brought up in a loving, warm home and encouraged through his life, he may not have been like that as a child. And there's the racial element as well. I mean, it's my grandfather who was deported, but I've grown up in Britain in the 70s and 80s, and there's no getting away from the racism. My entire life, people say to me, where are you from? You're obviously not fully British. And then I'm left with that awkward position of, I actually don't know anything about my culture or my roots or other than a sailor's name. The government policy was called compulsory repatriation of undesirable Chinese seamen, and officials congratulated themselves on the firm line they had taken. The firm line meant forcibly taking men from their homes and boarding houses, husbands and fathers vanishing overnight. Judy Kinnan's biological father, Chang O'Chang, was one of those secretly deported. Her mother had no idea where he'd gone. Unable to raise her daughter, Judy was sent to live with her grandmother. Judy did eventually return to her mother, but the trauma remains. Now in her late 70s, Judy has no memory of her father, just a few photographs which, when I met with her, she was keen to show me. Well, these photographs are of... That's my mum. She's beautiful, isn't she? Dad. Yeah, he's a good-looking good boy. Now, on the back of here, when he disappeared, this she'd wrote on the back of it, To my darling, joyful wishes you to keep this, to keep with happy, from Miss Mooring and baby darling, you have now left me, it is ten months. God, it's heartbreaking, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. She never knew what happened, so she couldn't tell me. Because that second photograph she sent out with a sailor once because she thought he'd just left her. And he you didn't, know, just, and leave he didn't just leave her at all. And it came back and said, well, we can't find him. She clearly loved him. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, she did. Everyone says that. And I didn't get shown that till I was a little bit later on in life. Judy was not told about her father immediately, and the way she found out was also devastating. When all this happened, my mum went into a mental state and she suffered stress and anxiety. So I went to live with my grandma in Macclesfield. And then when I came back to Liverpool to start school, as of five or six, I came to, my mum had a new husband. So I thought he was my daddy, because I was too young to remember too many things. So it was, I was about seven or eight, I think, and it was Christmas, and my mum's brothers were down, you know, the ones that I used to live with, because he used to always come and see because we had a very close bond, you know. And mum's coming out of the kitchen here, and the stairs are there, and ding-fong's going up the stairs, and he, they're shouting and arguing over something. And I said to him, uh, Daddy, don't shout at Mummy. And he just pointed from halfway up the stairs, pointed down and said, I am not your daddy. And that's how it come out, who's my daddy. And that's how I got to see that photograph. June Caddick only discovered her birth name was June Loy and that her father was a Chinese sailor when she had to produce her birth certificate to get married. 
She was unaware that her childhood was blighted by her father's deportation, which plunged her family into abject poverty. But it was very sad, you know. Um, we roughed it when we were children. Um, we lived in a cellar because my mum got put out of her house because she couldn't afford the rent. And uh, I, I remember, all I can remember is we were in a cellar sleeping on mattresses on the floor. What was it like growing up knowing that there was this gap in your life? Well, I didn't know um, about my dad at the time. I didn't know anything. We just got on with things and roughed it with shoes. We used to have holes in our shoes. Um, lying there in the bottom, walking around with holes in our shoes until your mother could afford to get you a pair of shoes. Because presumably when he left, the money went as well, the income went. Yes, yes. Mm. And a lot of these mums, these, these women, were, were cast into virtual destitution. They were, yes. I mean, she got put out of the house, what they were in. Because she couldn't afford the rent. Couldn't afford the rent, yeah. Loss and destruction of documents has hampered the quest to make definitive findings on who was repatriated, whether voluntarily or as a result of coercion. The anecdotal evidence from the families affected, though, is startling. June and I went through some of her personal documents, which give an insight to the mystery clouding her upbringing. June, this is the story of your life here. This is um, your, your birth certificate. Tell me about the names, the people, who they were, and their ages. Right. This is your dad? Yes. My dad was named N.G. Loy, and he was 29, and he was a bachelor. And he lived at the time in Canning Street, number 40. And your mum? And my mum's name was Ida Louisa. Lytak, her name was. And she was 37. And she lived in Gibson Street. And then many years later, there's a replacement. Or this is, this is the birth certificate, which revisits some of these facts. Yes. But not all of them. Because here we have the story of your birth your mum, but not your dad? But not my dad, no. Why? I don't know what happened to that. It's almost as if he's been... Obliterated. Whitewashed out of the yeah. story. Yes, yes. He's unpersoned, which is extraordinary, isn't it? It is. How did you come to know the story? I mean, did your mum ever talk about it? Not until uh, we were 18 and I was going to get married. And my husband went down for the birth certificates and they said, there's no June Lytak here. So you didn't exist either? <laughs> Goodness sake. Uh, what it is, is June Loy, formerly known as June Lytak. And that was a shock. So your story is kind of rewritten a bit as well. Mm. So your mum then says what? She said, we were married, here's the birth certificate, here's the marriage certificate, she said to my husband. Well, it was my boyfriend at the time, you know. And there she showed the marriage certificate. And then that's all I know. 
And she, I mean, her life must have been so difficult to have carried that pain almost of the man she loved. Yes, yes. Disappearing and going to another country. Yes. Untraceable. Terrible. It's really bad. There's no words to describe it. And did she, she never talked about it for the rest of her life other than that? No, she never. She, she wanted me to, to blend in with her other family and uh, I wasn't told anything. It's sad, it is. The authorities provided virtually no information about the fate of the seamen. The families left behind were often encouraged to believe they had been abandoned. This is what happened to brothers Joe and John. When their father, Ang Long Si, was deported, he left a family of five struggling to survive. The impact on his children has been profound. My mother was mixed race. So there's two people with mixed race. When I approached my mother and said, um, that there's no father's name on my birth certificate because this is the only time and don't forget I was old then I was in my 18s, 19s she said that he deserted us and left us on our own and if she ever seen him she'd cut us off if you understand the meaning of what I'm saying and that's what put me against him I was really angry, really angry that he would do this and leave her, mixed race, my mother, with four children of Chinese descent as well as her descent. We lived in a place called Liverpool Lake. I don't need to explain the prejudice of a single mother with four Chinese half-children trying to bring them up. How did she, how did she manage? Oh, she done a really good job because um, my brother's done, we, we's done very well. And I've been in Europe uh, without any education or very little. But uh, if we do that, you see, when you haven't got a father, you, you, and it's something that you yearn for. It's a feeling that if you, you, you can't, there's no explanation for it. We now know that it's fairly likely that these men had no chance to say goodbye, no chance to write anything. They were simply snatched off the streets and bundled into ships. It kind of changes her understanding, perhaps, of him and what happened, doesn't it? Well, I'd, ho I'd hope she would be alive now that this is all starting to come out so we could explain to her properly. And don't forget, she was treated as a prostitute. Because she married some Chinese, she was seen as a prostitute. And if she made too much noise, then let her go back with them. Born and bred in this country, but told, you're a prostitute, get off the streets. If you want to go with them, find out where he's gone and go back to. It would be frightening those days. Joe is still haunted by his father's experience, often imagining what they would say if they were ever reunited. Well, I'd give him a big hug first, and tell I'm sorry that this happened to you, and we couldn't do anything about it. But we can have 
We want the truth. Own up to what they did and let us step, settle. We're not got that many years left in us, but we just want the truth. For others like Judy, it's the not knowing that's the hardest part. Some wonder if they'll ever find out what really happened. To break my heart if I thought I didn't find out. I don't care whether it's uncomfortable or not, but at least to know. It's that important to you to know. Yeah, it is. I, I'd loved, I'd just loved, I don't care what's happened to him, you know what I mean, or what family he's got, or what, I just want to know. Because those family could be part of me, heritage, couldn't they? It would be so wonderful if your mum could have known. Yeah. Oh, yeah, she'd love to have known. Because she just thought, she'd, he must have got, they must have got blown up, she'd, because I think she said he'd try to get in touch if he could, but she was convinced he was blown up. The political upheaval underway in China meant the seamen faced an uncertain state of affairs on their return, as Rana Mitter, a historian specialising in modern China at the University of Oxford, explains. One of the things that we know about the late 1940s in Shanghai is that there was a tremendous amount of paramilitary violence during that period. A great many people on all sides of the political spectrum found themselves in uh, fear of what might happen because pol the political situation was so turbulent and because everyone was expecting a civil war essentially to break out very, very imminently, which of course it did finally in the summer and autumn of 1946. Events in China meant trying to stay in contact was extremely challenging for the seamen and their families. Essentially, after 1949, it became immensely difficult for people inside China to communicate with the West and vice versa. Although there were diplomatic relations with the UK from 1950, they existed at a very low level. In fact, the UK and China did not exchange full ambassadors until years later in 1972. And that meant that communications with the Western world became much more difficult to organize during that period. The pain runs deep. Children, grandchildren, and now great-grandchildren want answers. They want closure, and they want justice, as Judy Kinnan explains. I'm 78 next year. My husband died recently, and he always wanted me to know. And he'll never know now whether I find out or not. But, um, yeah, I just like, and the grandchildren are getting that way that they want to know now, and trying to find out. But. There's just nothing. No, no one's prepared, you know, for, to give us any information, but they must have it. But what, what gets me down is they must know, mustn't they? They've got to know, haven't they? Really, don't you think? Join us for our final episode as we explore how families and the Chinese community have come together to share their stories, support each other, and campaign for justice. Fathers and grandfathers were taken off the street and for so many years they didn't know what had happened to them. They didn't know that the government and the police were complicit in their removal. Do you know more about this story? If you do, please email sailors at cgtn.com. You've been listening to The Secret Betrayal with me, Jamie Owen. The producers were Elizabeth Mearns 
and Mark Ashenden. The sound editor was Terry Wilson and the series producer, Simon Morris.